Welcome to The Wonder, exploring perspectives, rituals, and observances of modern naturalistic, earth-revering, pagan religious paths. Here are your hosts, Yucca and Mark. Welcome back to The Wonder, science-based paganism. I'm your host, Mark. And I'm Yucca. And it's that time again. We are here to talk about Hallows, or whatever you call the holiday that happens at the end of October, beginning of November. Yep. Welcome back, everyone. I know that for a lot of people, this is a favorite holiday. Absolutely. Yeah. We we love the eerie season. We love the whole witchy aesthetic. Of course, we love that all year round, but we get to indulge it in public uh, <laughs> yeah, seems like for about a month. Yeah. So welcome. Yeah, I guess let's start with the name, because like so many of the other holidays on the Wheel of the Year, it can have a lot of different names, and yes. those names can reflect subtle differences in what it means to people. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that for me, the first thing on that before we talk about names is about this holiday is often a whole bunch of very different things all wrapped up into a ball. Mm-hmm. And what I prefer to do is to parse those out into yeah. separate observances mm-hmm. because, you know, the sort of funny, goofy, spooky, sexy, Halloweeny kind of piece is not the same as the solemn contemplation of death piece mm-hmm. or, or the recognition of ancestry piece. There's just there's a bunch of different things going on there, and I like to spread them out over a period of a week or two, mm-hmm. um, and then I call those things different things. Yeah, we do something very similar for us. Halloween is a different; it's a favorite holiday as well, and it kind of overlaps, but it is mm-hmm. a different holiday. In the same way, later on in the year, when we get to solstice and Christmas, those are two separate things for us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So when it comes to names, I, I I refer to the religious holiday, which is the recognition of mortality, the mourning of those that have died, the the working with ancestry, all that kind of stuff. I call that Hallows. Mm-hmm. And I do that for a particular reason. I mean it's evocative of Halloween, but Halloween is much more of a secular and fun kind of holiday. It's, it's more, I mean, it's, it's very focused around children and there's the whole trick or treating and candy thing and uh, decorating with all the spooky witchy stuff, which is all really fun, but that's different than Hallows. And I choose the term Hallows because it doesn't have a cultural root. It's not, it's not an Irish word. It's not, it's not, you know, all Hallows Eve, which is a Catholic thing. It's just, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's a thing. It's a, a station it, on the wheel of the year. But it's still reminiscent of that, right? Yes. Right? It has that, it has a, it kind of speaks to it without really being, taking it directly from there. That was the idea anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That name has been growing on me. So I've, I found myself starting to use that name, especially when speaking with other people about it, especially in the 
Ethiopian community. It's just, it fits really nicely. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, it certainly does for me. Um, because it's close enough to Halloween that people know what you're talking about. <laughs> but it's different enough that they know that you're not talking about giving candy to costume children. Yes. <laughs> I'm just thinking about all the candy we're going to have to deal with. <laughs> Tip for you other parents out there. We have actually turned, this is since Halloween related, we have turned part of the tradition also into giving away candy. So because they get a ridiculous, they get like a year's worth of candy. And we can't moderate. It's not like I'm going to like give them one piece of candy a day. Like, no, if the candy's, right. enough, the candy's getting eaten. So we make it part of the tradition to sort through the candy the next day, pick the favorites, do like all the trading. And then we give, we do reverse trick-or-treating and we go and give candy to the neighbors who are, who did not participate in Halloween because we live very rurally so we have to drive into town to go to some place to trick-or-treat uh -huh. take the candy and we like drop it off at the the gates you know so we drive like a couple miles down the road and drop some candy off for that neighbor and that neighbor so we make giving the candy away part of the tradition as well <laughs> so just a hint out there for any of you that's very clever and i really like the <laughs> the reciprocity that's built into that you know the idea that it's not just about getting it's also about giving. Right. And it's about, oh, who who do you think? Who's going to like the licorice better? Who's going to like... None of the chocolate gets given away. They're, they're all about the uh -huh. chocolate. Who's going to give course. this? You know, who's going to get the Starburst? Who's going to get the that? You know, and so it, it becomes... We started it young. I think it might be hard to convince like your 12-year-olds to do that. But if you start them at like four or five, like it's, it's easier to get in there. But That's great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, nicely done, parent. I've often used so it's second autumn for us or second fall as well. Mm -hmm. um, it's a very we've talked about this so much on the podcast before, but the seasons here, we don't have four seasons here. Mm -hmm. We have two seasons. We've got the the cold and the hot time of year. But then if we are to split it into smaller seasons it's really more like we have eight because mm -hmm. early fall and late fall are totally different seasons for us they really mm -hmm. are very very different so this hall this holiday is like in the middle kind of towards the end of this of second autumn for us and then mm -hmm. we'll tumble into winter very very quickly after that mm -hmm. so and i know for some people for us, it's still kind of, it's, we're not deep into winter by the time we get to solstice. Uh -huh. it really, it really depends on where you are in the world, but sure. Like, sure. and there's, there's a few weeks in here that it, we have a few deciduous trees where it actually kind of looks like fall. Um, but this time of year, we've got chamisa, um, which I think in some other parts of the country might get called rabbit bush. Oh, uh-huh name for it and they have these bright golden flowers that some people are very allergic to so they're not really fond of when it's blooming but this time uh -huh. blooming, and then we've got like the purple asters and then by hollows it's we'll get we're getting freezes now but we'll start to get enough freezes that they that they're killed right uh -huh. just like hollows hits and like all the golden from the several weeks before is gone so this, this <laughs> very stark difference between the the seasons 
that's interesting that you mentioned that because there's a similar impact of the time change Mm. Um, which always happens the first weekend in November. And that is the weekend when my ritual circle always meets to do our Hallows mm-hmm. ritual. Um, and of course, that Saturday night, the clocks go back an hour and suddenly, boom, it's dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, the you know sunset is an hour earlier and everything just seems a whole lot darker than it was before. So the the advent of the the season of darkness just seems to be suddenly like a gate dropping across the year. Mm, yeah. So it's, it's a similar kind of thing with how you say that you get a freeze and then all that gold is just gone. Same kind of thing. So hallows. And of course there are many in the pagan community that call the, the religious holiday Samhain, mm-hmm. which is the Irish word for the month of November. Mm-hmm. Um, I, for reasons that I've explained before, I choose not to use cultural words like that because uh, I'm really clear that my Ethiopian practice is a modern one. It's a modern invention, mm-hmm. and I don't want to culturally appropriate the only because that real... is for a specific cultural background. Yes, yes. There's plenty of people who it is, but that isn't yours in particular. That's right. right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And I don't I don't feel particularly connected to any cultural lineage because my people have been in the US since the Mayflower and you know all all memory of any of that stuff from some old country somewhere is long lost. Mm-hmm. So I'm just a, a mongrel American and and I don't really think of American culture as being very cultural, if that makes sense. I mean, America definitely has a culture, but it doesn't feel like a very rich inheritance in terms of meaning, wisdom, accumulated knowledge, mm-hmm. stuff yeah. like that, Certainly, if, if that makes sense. Right. It certainly is a culture. It's a very oh, yeah. strong and influential culture, but the some of the things that like the poetry and the mythology and those sorts of components of culture don't seem to be as central in pan-american culture yes maybe in in many other and of course not all but many other um, cultures where they have a there's more of a focus on that connection and that deep poetic symbology part yes yes and you know we could spin off now onto a tangent about why american culture is so influential which i think is because it's largely imperialistic it's it's influential because it's designed that way it's designed to gobble other cultures and to supplant them Mm -hmm. but that being said Let's talk about Hallows. <laughs> yes. uh, I also do want to mention in my area, Dia de los Muertos is, is a very big thing as well. Here too. Yeah. And there's the, that's something that I don't directly participate in as much, but I really value it and love mm-hmm. the, the I love that it is happening here, even though that's not something that I'm really 
deeply involved in the beautiful colors and the symbols and yeah. the spirit of it is just I really like it. <laughs> I just Me think too. It's so it's so great that I, I I think this this is such an important the themes that we're talking about here are just so important. And I wish they were more integrated into our everyday awareness in life. But given that's not a reality, I think that it's it's good that we do have a time of year that we can recognize that and mm -hmm. and put it in the, the forefront. Even if the companies always try and make it about buying sugar skulls and things like that instead of, you know, the actual meaning. Right pretty good at yeah i i really agree with that and i think that there are some positive trends with the whole death positivity movement and the resurgence of interest in rituals that are not associated with you know the big institutional religions mm -hmm. i i do think that there's a growing there's a growing sense on the part of many people of the need for that and mm -hmm. And of the the pathology of the traditional American denial of death and uh, phobia about it, fear of talking about it, fear of doing anything to prepare for it, all those kinds of pieces. Mm -hmm. um, which actually brings me to a thing that I do at this time of year, which I've talked about before, which is I revisit and revise my death packet every mm -hmm. year. And we'll, we can put a, a link to the downloadable workbook that I have on my blog that you can fill out, which in basically it'll capture what your wishes are for while you're dying, what your health directives are, information about, you know, what you'd like to be in your obituary, just kind of a general biographical thing so that people know, you know, what to say list of passwords that people will need in order to access your various digital accounts, which is very important because if people can't get into your accounts, then it becomes really difficult to do anything after you've died. And a will, of course, and a, a place for a, a farewell letter if you want to write one. So this workbook is something that I have filled out myself and it's a gift to the people who will survive me mm -hmm. because when people are mourning, they're in a fog and the last thing they want to do is to have to deal with a ton of bureaucratic trivia in order to do what needs to be done in the wake of a person's death. So I really encourage people to do that. And the, the hallow season is a great time to revisit that while sort of contemplating the fact that we're all going to die and we need to come to grips with that and, and be aware of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that's, that is a great resource. So thank you. Yeah. We'll, we'll put that in the, the links. And of course, you know, one doesn't have to use that particular one, but you put a lot of work into getting all of thinking through that and, and compiling the, different things that one might want to consider. Yeah, it's kind of funny. There there are several workbooks like this in various forms floating around, like the five questions relating to death is another one. All of them have good things in them, and none of them are complete, mm -hmm. I found. 
you know, some of them were just missing certain important pieces. And so I stole from everybody <laughs> to create something that felt comprehensive. And maybe I missed something. I, I hope not. But I, I think the workbook is a pretty useful system for pulling together all the information that people are going to need um, in the wake of your death. And of course, for your loved ones, um, that's a great kindness that you can give them. Right. And thinking about death is something that can sometimes be uncomfortable, right? There's a, as living creatures, we, I mean, we're alive because we've worked really hard to stay that way, right? Yep. Every single one of us. And so there's an instinctual uh, avoidance that we have of it because those who didn't have that instinct are not around anymore and didn't pass that on. <laughs> That's right. Um, but I think that it is, can be really empowering. It's something that I work into my practice every day. I tell myself every day that one day I will not be, I will die one day. And I don't know what day that is going to be. Mm -hmm. That could be, that could be before this podcast goes up, right? That could be five minutes from now. That could be, it could be 70 years from now, right? I don't uh -huh. know what that is, but knowing that, remembering that not in a, like a woe is me way, but I choose to frame it and it is a it is an effort because we have we have to really think about how we frame things and sometimes we have to make an effort to readjust how we're looking at it but I see that as a really empowering thing to go wow I have this moment this I have this day right I'm going to I'm going to live this moment because I will not be there is a time I will not be here I didn't used to be for the past 14 or whatever billion years mm -hmm. and it, that's going to happen again. And so, wow, here I am. Right. Yeah. Yeah. As the Latin said, seize the fish. Seize the fish. Yes. <laughs> Carpe diem. <laughs> I, I like a uh, memento mori for it. Right. Uh -huh. uh, because there's a, I mean, there is this, you know, seize the day in there. Um, I think those two ideas are connected. Right. Um, mm -hmm. But I like remembering my death because it because it makes me think about how I live. Mm -hmm. Thinking about my death makes me think about my life. Yes. Um, and so it's a it, there's a contemplative element to it, which I know that again, I like carpe diem, but it, it, that has more of like a impulsive kind of feel, it has more like a YOLO mm. feel to me than I uh, see. In the moment but whichever one works for people right and mm -hmm. at a different point in my life carpe diem may, might be more meaningful but right now i you know every day i think about momentum mori mm -hmm. me too actually in my hand actually <laughs> uh -huh. i literally have it on the back of my hand so that i see it every single day uh-huh that's yeah. great yeah i have an underworld altar that i light a candle on every day and you know, the pictures of the people that have died are there and the skulls and bones and all the reminders, all the symbols. And it's 
it's a reminder that, you know, that's where I'm on my way to. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, but now while I get to make choices about how I live, you know, how do I want to do that? How do I, what, what do I want to leave behind and how do I want to experience the moments while I'm here? Mm -hmm. I think I should put in a plug at this point because I, I mentioned the death positive movement. And a lot of that is about just getting more comfortable with the fact of our mortality and people have death cafes to talk about their relationship with their mortality and those kinds of, you know, discussion venues. But also that movement is very much about getting back to more natural disposition of our remains, mm -hmm. which I really want to put in a, a word for because the funeral industry puts hundreds of millions of gallons of formaldehyde into the ground every year, just in the United States, mm -hmm. all in the name of people not wanting to imagine that their loved ones rot when they will anyway. Yeah, it's even open casket funerals aren't even really that common anymore, are they? No, they aren't. And the body after the body is, is taken. But even if you do, if you do it within the first couple of days, you don't need embalming. I mean, un unless there's been like, you know. Right. A, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So embalming is a really unnecessary and destructive step. Mm -hmm. And then when you add in the, you know, the elaborate and insanely expensive caskets and grave liners and all that kind of stuff you know families go bankrupt mm -hmm. because someone died and wanted you know all of the pomp and circumstance and you can have you know elaborate ritual around a very simple disposition of remains mm -hmm. you know my friend tanya she was just wrapped in a blanket and buried in the ground. And, you know, she was a pagan and had pagan friends. And we really did a lot of grand opera around, you know, around putting her in the ground. But, but it didn't involve the kind of expense and the kind of impact mm -hmm. that would have come with a more traditional sort of funeral. Mm -hmm. So, everybody's got different feelings about this and I'm not telling anybody that there's this wrong. And just legal situations too, depending on what state and country you're in for what is allowed and what isn't allowed. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The, to my knowledge, natural burial is legal throughout the United States anyway. Mm -hmm. You have to get permits though in different areas. Do you, do you, we, we did not have to get a permit other than just a disposition of human remains permit, which is required for any interment in a cemetery. Yeah. Yeah. So um, because they don't want, they want to know where human remains are. Um, right. From yeah, a you can... perspective, you, you need to know if somebody comes across remains that, that they're coming across somebody's burial, not somebody's murder or somebody, you know, Right. You can't bury someone in your backyard in yeah, those cases. You you have to you have to bury someone in a place that has been 
allocated for the disposition of bodies. And there are a lot of exceptions to that, actually. Um, so, you know, look at what the local laws are to determine, you know, where where you might be able to bury someone. But if you're burying in a cemetery, then you know that you're you're okay. Of course, right. now you have to pay for a plot. Yeah. But you you don't have to have a concrete grave liner. You don't have to have a, an elaborate casket. And then, of course, there are the alternatives like aquamation, which is the water hydrolysis method, which is really cool, mm -hmm. super cool. They use heated hydrogen peroxide to basically dissolve the body down to just a few scraps of bone. And that liquid is actually highly nutritious. It can be used on gardens. It can be used on, you know, house plants, whatever. The, the liquid that comes off is 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 neutral is no longer caustic and it, yes there you go yeah getting all the water out <laughs> and so that's a, a new way to go that is now legal in california and washington i'm not sure about other places i don't know the legality of it in different states but i was seeing some a few years back a company doing like fungal wraps for the body yes, yes. Uh, i've read about that pose the body yeah and then there's human composting mm -hmm. which is literally just shoveling wood shavings over the top of a body and putting it into a a, a capsule just letting nature do what it does letting it sit and what you get out of it is fantastic compost for agriculture or for a garden mm -hmm. and you know, truly putting the body back into the cycle of life in a, you know, in a, a very, not a symbolic way, a, a genuine, yeah. in genuine real way, which is actually the way that I would like to go if at all possible. Mm -hmm. If, if it's possible, I would like either human composting or aquamation, mm -hmm. just depending on what's available in my local area and all that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I love the idea of being rendered down into component pieces that can then be taken up by other organisms and used to assemble more life because mm -hmm. that's what's going on here on planet earth that's that's what life is right and that's what all the parts in us are right mm -hmm. every little bit in us used to be a little bit in somebody else and somebody else and somebody else before that that's right yeah which is wonderful to think about in my opinion i i just find it marvelous you know to think about all the different kinds of creatures and microorganisms and plants yeah. that that were a part not and not just the ones that i've ingested but the ones that you know that are well millions of years before that right right the being and then it was part of the soil and then it was part of the plant and then it was part of the animal and then it was part of the fungus and then it was in the soil you know for yes. millions upon millions of years right and not just the life but also it, this was part of a mountain this was yeah. part of lava that came up through the crust right there's bits of my body that used to be at the bottom of the mantle and of course, yeah. we go farther back before we were even a planet. We were a, you know, floating cloud of gas and 
dust, right? A star. Right. And just, it's so cool to think about, you know, we are part of the universe. Yes. Right? We like to think about ourselves being in the universe, but we are part of it. Yep. Yeah. And yeah, we, we'll keep we being are... part of it. There won't, there won't be a, a yucca anymore. There won't be a mark anymore. But the stuff, the universe is still going to be the universe. It's just going to be a little bit different than it was before. Right. Everything that we are is on loan. Yeah. It's, it's not ours. It's just on loan. Mm -hmm. And I, I, think, I think that's an important way to look at things, you know, to understand that we have obligations, you know, and, and ulti the ultimate obligation that we have is to give ourselves back mm -hmm. after we're done using us. Yeah. And, you know, in having these conversations and, you know, sitting with mortality, yes, I've got that organism impulse that says, don't kill me. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to go. But the more I have these conversations, the more comfortable I get with uh, both philosophically and emotionally with the idea that that's going to happen and it's going to be okay. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm having a pretty swell ride here and I'm getting to put some things out into the world that I really care about. And that's enough. Yeah. That's enough. I, I can, I can be good with that. I'm really curious, very curious about what it's going to be like. You know, some people want to say they want to go peacefully in their sleep and not know it's happening. I want to know. Yeah, me too. Right? I want to. I, mean, I don't. I don't I want, want pain, pain, but I want. Yeah, I don't to want to be in pain, but I want to. Which I don't know how one could really go without being in pain and well conscious, but because your body is shutting down, right? right. But I don't want to be in excruciate. I don't want to be in agonizing pain. Right. But well, I, and there, there is that I thing. There is that thing that they call death lucidity or, or, you know, last minute lucidity where people who have been unconscious for a long time or, you know, kind of semi-conscious or, you know, really incapable. A bunch of activity happen right before. Yeah. They'll, they'll kind of snap out of it and they'll be communicative and then they'll die. Mm -hmm. And it's really mysterious why this takes place i kind of wonder whether because we don't observe it in other animals to my knowledge well have we looked for it in other animals i think there's been some looking for it but i'm sure there's a lot more research that could be done seems like a very I, difficult thing to get past an ethics board that's true yeah right. you yeah no you'd have to wait around for things to die you couldn't kill them but well, um, you know yeah well, unfortunately, if it's an invertebrate, you could. They, there's not right. protection right. on them. But they are so different than us that I don't know how meaningful that research would necessarily be other than yeah. to know whether, you know, they... So I'm not suggesting that we do that at all. But in most countries, vertebrates have pretty strong ethical protection mm -hmm. for research. Mm-hmm. Did you see this came out like maybe last year, but a researcher had recorded a spider, apparently a little spiderling, apparently dreaming was the interpretation that it seemed to be going through something that was looked very similar to what to REM in 
No, how on earth did they measure that? They were looking at the, it was in, they were looking at the movement of its body in sleep. I'd have to go, let me, I'll send it to you because I, I saved it. So that's, that that is cool. It was just this tiny little microscopic spiderling that they were looking at. Wow. Also thinking about invertebrate research earlier this year, there was the bumblebees playing research. It was great. Uh Yeah, read that with some students recently that we, you know, were study. I was teaching them about how to read a scientific paper, and so we got to go through and like look at, you know, the validity of each of the experiments and stuff. And it was just Uh delightful to, to look through and talk about, you know, bumblebee bumblebee brain development and all of that. (laughs) (laughs) And on the other side, I was very pleased with that that group because they have a whole section about you know there is no ethical protection for invertebrates but we did it anyways right uh-huh. we followed the rules that we that would be followed if it was a vertebrate and it was like okay good yeah, yeah folks that's are, good are genuinely curious about these creatures and care about them so yeah that's good so. yeah i've i've read some research on honeybees who we have lots of cultural associations with about being industrious and workers and organized and all that kind of stuff. Apparently most of what a honeybee does is stand around, eat honey and goof off. <laughs> and they, they snuggle. They yeah. snuggle with their sisters and play out. Yeah. yeah. They just, Having I mean, when there's, when there's work to be done, you know, when there's work to be done, well, you go, you do the work, but otherwise you just, eat honey and have a good time yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right well let's let's come back to hollows for a minute yeah that was that was quite a tangent that's great though (laughs) anything else we should say we should also say that we've done we're several years into this podcast and we've certainly talked about this holiday before so let's let's put some links to previous episodes in the show notes um, so I'll do that for all of you. So if you want to go back and, you know, ben, binge the uh, binge the Hollows episodes, then we'll have those there for you. Yeah, that's great. So we haven't really talked about how we ritually celebrate this holiday mm-hmm. very much yet. I've described my ritual circle. I, I'm in a ritual circle called, called Dark Sun, and we were founded in 1991. And everybody who was there all six of the people who were there originally are still there and we've added three more since mm-hmm. so we and we do we we started on hallows and we've done a hallows ritual every year since although we had to go virtual in 2020 mm-hmm. um but now we're getting together in person again and what it, it the the short version of this is that we start in darkness and we talk about the feeling of being alive and what life feels like right now and and confronting the fact of our impending mortality and then we travel we physically travel but i have a feeling given our advancing age soon this will turn into a guided meditation To one of the youngest members, is that right? I am I am the youngest member. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I'm 61. So yes, we, we range from 61 to 87. Uh, mostly in their late 60s, early 70s. 
Mm-hmm. The and then we do a voyage to the land of the dead, to a very dark place in the forest, where we stop and we speak to the dead. We speak to those that have died over the course of the previous year and to those that were still mourning and any that we still feel we have things to say to. And we spend a a good long time down there until it starts feeling a little comfortable. And then it's time to come back before it gets too comfortable. And then we come back and we light a fire and we share wine and chocolate and sing and celebrate being alive. And it's a, it's a profound, a very simple, but a profound experience every year. Mm. Um, especially knowing that, you know, eventually there's going to be a hole in the circle. Mm-hmm. Eventually, you know, one of us and then another and then another will leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... It, it somehow there, there's something about the repetition of this over and over and over for so many years that helps me to somehow get a little bit more okay with that over mm. time. You know mm. that we that we prepared for this. We we went through the motions a whole bunch of times, mm-hmm. um, preparatory to this to that loss. Yeah. How about you? What are any of the things that you do for, for Hallows? So, so far, we don't have a family uh, tradition that we do yet, but I have a personal one that I do where I, and the, the, the exact date doesn't really matter to me, right? It's not, it's not like the moment of like the solstice where there's a moment this is just sort of a time of year and I will go outside in the evening. It's still not quite the evening yet and sit and watch the sunset, but I'll do it without just in short sleeves and sit in the, the plant matter that has browned and you can feel that the crinkly, dead plants around you and just sit and watch the sunset and without the shirt on so it's cold but just become comfortable with that discomfort because this time of year it it freezes every night this time of year and so it gets cold but it's not it's not dangerously cold yet. I mean, if I was to spend the whole night outside, it would be. But to just let myself really sit and just accept that discomfort and work on releasing, just letting go of things, just accepting the things that I need to accept that are just time to let be let be gone and let them be part of part of my past, part of what made me, but not, they're, they're gone with the season, right? They're the, the, the dead material that will one day become something else, but I'm just going to accept it. And so I'll watch the sunset and, you know, wait until the stars come out and just in, just in quiet silence and then come back in. And so Mm. try and do that every year. And it's, it's chilly and spooky and kind of that spooky and that weirdly comforting 
kind of way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's, that's what I like to do for this holiday. Nice. I like it. Yeah. It's kind of similar to what we do at midwinter mm -hmm. at the solstice. We sit outside for a while, let ourselves get good and cold, mm -hmm. usually with a hot mug of something to mm -hmm. sip, but just feel the winter, feel, you know, feel the cold. Yeah. Knowing that, that that's really what's going on. And we're very good at creating little bubbles of comfortable environment for ourselves, but it's, it's good to know what's going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been great. Thank you so much, Yucca. Thank you. And, yeah. and a, a happy and meaningful and profound hallows to all of our listeners, however you celebrate it. I hope that I, I hope it's a really good one for you, a really good turning of the wheel this season. Yep. Thanks for being here with us, everyone. See you next week.